0: Thank <laughs>
1: Welcome to another edition of the Ulster Rugby Roundup. It is still an international football week, so Gareth Hanna is still in absentia. But just before golf courses reopen, I'm lucky enough to have caught up with Richard Mulligan and Adam McKendry. Guys, how are we doing?
2: Doing good, thanks, Jonathan. Um, Good to see you in the hot seat again. I thought your debut was uh, quite impressive last weekend. Um, So uh, Gareth might never have to host another one again.
1: That's it. I've uh, earned earned another go in the chair. Obviously, high-pressure week this week with... uh, with it actually being a game week. So we will crack on. Ulster against Harlequins, a season-defining week for Ulster in a lot of ways, given how big this competition has become for them. Gareth Hanna, while not here, has thrown in our first listener question, wanting to know, does Richard Mulligan get excited by the Challenge Cup in the same way that he does and Donald does, or is this just the secondary competition?
2: This is the secondary competition, but there is a big bit of silverware to be won at the end of this series of games. I think the Challenge Cup in the past has got a bit of bad press, if you like. The way, if you think, I mean, the Parker Pen Cup never really had a great ring to it when it first uh, was muted, and you had knockout games and whatnot. And then the way the qualification for Europe always went, the three Irish provinces, the top three Irish provinces were always guaranteed a place in the Champions Cup. Connacht always ended up playing in the the second tier, if you like. We've heard it talk, and I think People are maybe putting this competition down a little bit. I think that if Ulster had maybe played in the Challenge Cup years ago when they were maybe struggling in the Champions Cup, there would be a bit more bite to this. I remember almost being run out of Ravenhill one day when I suggested to a coach that perhaps qualification for the Challenge Cup wouldn't be a bad thing. But the explanation to that was, look, the Champions Cup is what attracts players to come and play their rugby here and that's what you want to be playing and you want to be playing in the top competition. So I can understand that. Um, and I suppose if you think about Connacht's famous trip to, was it Siberia, <laughs> whenever they, they spent a week in the frost, I suppose there, there, there's not too many attractive factors in the pool stages. Leinster have won this competition. We've got to remember that. Now, that's when it was played in a way. Leinster finished runners-up to Claremont in their pool stages in, your, in the Champions Cup and ended up, they allowed two teams to play who didn't get through as best runners-up. It was the next two best runners-up. So Leinster played in it, and they won that competition. So I think Ulster have to look at this as a golden opportunity to win a bit of silverware, something that they haven't been able to do in recent years. This is a one-off time that they're in the Challenge Cup. If we were having a conversation about Ulster qualifying for the Challenge Cup next season because they finished sixth in the Pro 14, I think you're having a different conversation around it. But I think on this occasion, the year of the pandemic, this is a one-off event. Ulster really have to go out and win this competition.
1: Yeah, because, you know, it's not that long ago that we were sat in Ravenhill for that Ospreys qualifying game in uh, in 2018 and the prospect of being in the Challenge Cup was literally the doomsday scenario and it is incredible that uh, you know for 157 uh, Champions Cup, Heineken Cup games at Ulster have never been in this competition but you mentioned Leinster there and it's something that we brought up with Marty Murray a few weeks ago just that time that Leinster did win it and how they were sort of able to use that as a springboard now a different situation because you know obviously they were the Heineken Cup champions at the time having beaten Ulster and were a week away from winning the league again when beating Ulster but Adam as an opportunity to win that first piece of silverware and to essentially just stop all this talk of the drought and you know it'll be 15 years in two months' time, which is incredible. You know, you think of all the players that have passed through Ravenhill in that time, you think of even all the fans that have come to Ravenhill since then that have no memory of winning a tournament. Just how important do you think it is, to use the phrase that Dan McFarlane didn't like in yesterday's presser, to get the monkey off the back?
0: He came up with the greatest out-of-context quote I think we've had in a while, which was, I don't want to carry around anyone else's monkey. And And then he told me, if you want to carry around someone else's monkey, go ahead. So... Is it's interesting, like I don't have any memories of Ulster winning a trophy. Like the Celtic Cup win was just slightly before my time and I'm in that category of I've never seen or I've never witnessed live Ulster win a trophy. So this does represent probably their best chance since that sort of 2011 to 2014 stage wherever they were reaching the finals. This is probably their best chance to win a trophy. And as much as Dan McFarland says that they don't really see it as a monkey off the back. It it would undoubtedly be a massive weight lifted to be able to say, we've won a trophy. You know, the, the fact that these questions keep coming up show that it is a big thing. If, if it really wasn't a big thing, then people would keep asking about it. So the chance to actually get over the line and get a trophy in the cabinet would be massive, even if it is second tier. I think just having that stigma of, are we a team that can get over the line, lifted off them would be massive. I mean, we saw it with Claremont a couple of years ago winning the Challenge Cup you know, forever the bridesmaid, never the bride. But then they won a trophy and, or a European trophy. And all of a sudden you're saying, well, you know, the, this could be something that could take them on to the next level. Now, unfortunately, they haven't done it yet. But, you know, that just even being able to say, yes, we have won a trophy is massive. And the thing is about the Challenge Cup, as Richard was saying there, Ulster aren't going to win this easily. It's one thing talking about the Challenge Cup in the post stages. But whenever you get to the knockouts, it does tend to be a tough competition. Like you look you look at the finals, Bristol were in it last year, Claremont in it the year before that, and that against La Rochelle, who are a very good team who put 40 points on Ulster, I think the year before that. Montpellier have won it, Leinster have won it, Northampton have won it. You know, once you get to the knockouts in the Challenge Cup, it's not the, the talent is not as diluted as you think it is. And especially whenever you look at the fact that Ulster would have to beat Harlequins to win it this year, they would, we're assuming they would have to beat Northampton. In the quarterfinals presuming that they beat dragons in their last 16 game so already the path is tough and then you've also got the likes of London Irish Connacht maybe Leicester waiting along down the line it's not an easy competition to win this year so more than just winning a trophy I think the fact that if they won the trophy they would have to overcome some really difficult teams would really put a lot more emphasis on how good it would be to win a trophy and actually have something tangible to say, look at the progress we're making, even if it is second tier. I
1: think yeah, right. and I think that's important, that's important to note because, you know, Rick, as you said, there has been this sort of stigma attached to to the Challenge Cup. But, you know, Ulster, when they were going into this draw, they could have drawn Agen, who haven't won a game all season. They, well, they couldn't have drawn Teresa but, you know, if somebody was going to draw Tauriso, who haven't won a game all season. They've drawn each other, so somebody will get one of those teams in uh, in the quarterfinals. But Ulster have Harlequins, and as Adam mentions, there most likely Northampton if they get past Harlequins. So it's heavyweight opposition. And as Jack says in one of our listener questions, having no doubt watched a bit of Harlequins this year, do you think Ulster would beat a full strength Queens given their current form and? That's the interesting point for me because people are going to look at this and think of the Harlequins that Ulster beat twice last year, the Harlequins that Ulster put fifty points on a few years back in Les Kisses' time, and think that this is a similar bunch because it is largely a similar bunch of players. But basically, since January, their last sort of nine, ten games, they've been flying. Like they should have beat or could well have beat Bristol on. Saturday and what was a Kraken game. They had pushed Exeter two weeks before that, and they're up to fourth. They're playing great rugby, and they look like a serious outfit. Richard, what have you thought of them? And just to the listener question there, do you think that a full-strength Ulster at the minute have the ability to go and win away at a full full-strength harlequins
2: yeah it's a trigger and i should declare a slight interest in harlequins here my, my eldest boy is on the uh, harlequins development pathway program um so uh we do take a little bit more of an interest in the harlequins performances um
0: so this is the it? harlequins rugby roundup this week then is it? <laughs> this is it yeah <laughs> i can't believe you let him go over to the dark side richard i thought you were uh, better
2: but, than uh, that you see the thing is if he if he makes the, the progress here, we'll get him back over uh, across the shuck again very, very quickly, you know. Um, that's the important thing. Um, Kevin Mags is keeping an eye on him just in case. But I what's Harlequins on Sunday there? And as as Jonathan says, it was a cracking match, and I actually thought they had it won. And then the, their discipline just let them down in the last two minutes of the game. Whereas if they've been very good throughout. And I and I looked at who was playing, and I looked at and you know, you take Joe Martyr, Joe Martyr's presence on the pitch is just enough to, to put another front row completely off. I should declare another interest here with Joe Martyr. His, um, his son played minis with uh, my youngest at, at Heathfield and Waldron Rugby Club. Um, so uh, there's a lot of connections there. But that's by the way. I reckoned Ulster would have been hard pushed given who they're likely to have available this weekend if Harlequin's played that same side again um, on Sunday night. Um, it would have been a real, real test for Ulster. And I suppose if you look at it, the Pro 14 is now finished, so there's no excuse. Every Pro 14 side will go into Europe this weekend fully loaded, I would expect. Harlequins given their situation with the playoffs pending, maybe a tough old run of fixtures still to come in the Premiership, you might not see that same side out, but the question was do I think Ulster could go and beat Harlequins at their, at their best? They would be hard pushed to they could do it, but I think you could have seen the romance with the Challenge Cup ending maybe with a close loss at the Stoop this weekend in that situation.
1: I think, especially just from watching that uh, that Bristol game, as Jack kind of alludes to in his question, there is this possibility that Harlequins are not going to go fully loaded because getting into the playoffs for them is going to be so important. You saw Joe Marler go the distance on Saturday. You know, Danny Kerr was out there right to the end. I know Steele was away with Scotland Um So he'll be coming back into the mix anyway as, uh, I was going to say, a fellow international scrum half, but obviously Danny Kerr's not getting a look in at England at the minute. Um, Marcus Smith, another player, not getting a look in with England mysteriously, played an awful lot. Of rugby of late so adam looking at it i suppose from the outside what do you think do you think we're going to get this core of star players that we know that harlequins possess or do you think we're going to see see the lesser lights if you like no disrespect
0: i think you've got to look at a couple of ways and i'm actually going to steal a point that you made a couple of weeks ago johnny which is if harlequins didn't win this weekend then they would have the following weekend off before going back into the Premiership. And their game after that, all right, it's Worcester, which isn't the hardest game in the Premiership, but you're still going to bring all your guys back after two weeks off. And as we even saw with Ulster, whenever they had those two dead rubbers against Dragons and Zebra, they still mixed and matched. So it wasn't, we're going to keep everyone from playing for two weeks, put them in cotton wool and wait for the Quinn's game. It was, we still need these guys to be playing. So I think Harlequins are sort of in a position where they could maybe go full metal jacket this week and then sort of make a decision for the Northampton game and sort of decide, well, look, we got everyone playing against Ulster. Now we can sort of make the call of... Do we want to prioritise the Premiership or do we want to prioritise the Challenge Cup? As much as we talk about Harlequins being probably the toughest game for Ulster, Ulster are going to be the toughest game for Harlequins probably in the Challenge Cup. So the kudos they would get for winning this game would be something big to take forward mentally for them. So I think you'll probably, you'll maybe see a few guys rested. You know, you'll maybe see Marler rested. You might have James Lang coming back in and playing fly half instead of centers to give Marcus Smith a week off. But the thing is, they have guys that they can bring in that are that are really good, that will step in into that gap really well. You know, I I would say Alex Dombrandt's still going to play in Will Evans in the back row, which is one of the best 70 punches in the Premiership, if not Europe right now. Um, Mike Brown's playing some of the best rugby of his career. What is he now, 35? Just because Harlequins might rest some guys, they're going to be good. Will they go full strength? Look, the bottom line is I'd like to see them go full strength. Like, I I don't want to see Ulster going over and there being this asterisk of are Harlequins full strength or not you would like to see two full-strength teams going at it because, one, that would give us the test that they want, and two, it would really validate the Challenge Cup as a tournament rather than people just seeing it as this second-tier competition that nobody really cares about.
1: There'll be plenty of eyes on the Harlequin selection throughout the week when it's named, um, named on Friday. The Ulster selection, probably more cut and dried. I think we can take a relatively good stab at probably 12, 13 of the 15 names that we're going to see in that starting team. But something that Niall McDonald and Benji Roo have been debating in the listener questions here is 10. We have the injury update. Billy Burns is still struggling with that knock that he picked up on Ireland duty. So if he is out, then you have the option of Ian Madigan or you have the option of continuing with Michael at 10. Two different players, two different skill sets, very much two, two different levels of experience when it comes to playing 10 on a European stage. I'll go to both of you, so we'll start with Richard. Who do you see starting at 10 if Billy Burns isn't there?
2: I think you have to go with Madigan for that experience. This is an important knockout game of rugby. Having at fullback gives you that backup for out half if something does go wrong. I think Michael has, has done okay. I was a bit concerned when I saw Sturt playing Zebra at the way that they performed in the second half. It, 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 it worried me a wee bit, you know. Yeah, look, it was an end of the season, dead rubber. It didn't really matter an awful lot. It's always hard to judge what was going, what was going through their minds. But I think Madigan, any time he has played, has steered them well. He puts them in the right places on the field. And I think that's what you need to do. Against Harlequins on Sunday, irrespective of who Harlequins play, you need to put Ian Madigan with his experience starting at out half, and I think Michael Lowry at fifteen because he does give you good options at fifteen as well from an attacking point of view.
1: Adam, what would you what would you do? Do you agree with that?
0: Yeah, the zebra game I think was very let's call it chaotic. And while that works in some situations, I think in that game, it was where you really saw that Lowry is a, is a fly half who thrives on a fast, loose game. And against Harlequins, you're going to want some semblance of control at 10 that Lowry will get as he matures and as he develops as a player at fly half. But right now... Madigan has that more. And you've also got to balance up are Ulster better served having Lowry at 10? And we're going to assume Stockdale would go 15 and Little would come onto the wing? Or are you better served having Madigan at 10, Lowry at 15, and putting Stockdale on the wing, presumably with Balakoon on the other wing? That's the that's the sort of 50-50 that Dan McFarland is going to have to weigh up. And for me, the better option is having Madigan at 10 and Larry at 15 right now I still think Lowry is the 10 of the future but for right now for this game uh, yeah I think
1: you're going to want Madigan at 10 and just on the debate of the 10 options Andrew Yurt asks um, with a view more to next season if Burns is involved with Ireland and possibly Lowry too who is the next man in the pipeline to come up and play? But it's now we know. Madigan obviously has has a two year deal, so so he's not going anywhere. But I think it was interesting to see James Humphreys added to the to the European panel. Like for the point of clarification, the European panel now has no limit on it, so it's essentially Ulster with the names that they added last week have just registered everyone that's in the building now, rather than you know having to pick and choose and leave people out. But I think that's going to be an interesting one to uh, to monitor how it goes. We've seen him. Um, Turn out for the A's at the TLA end there. And obviously it presents the tantalizing possibility of another Doke and Humphreys halfback pairing, which would be great to see.
0: See, what Ulster what are trying to do is, in order to win a trophy, they're trying to go back to the last uh, halfback pairing that won them a trophy. So instead of being able to coax Neil Doke and David Humphreys out of retirement, They've just gone to the next generation and hope that's going to work.
1: Yeah, that's it. We may as well give up on uh, give up on this year because we need a, a James Humphreys drop goal off uh, off both po- off both <laughs> posts before uh, before Ulster are going to win any silverware. It, it could still happen. It could still happen. They're both true. in the squad now, so. True. I suppose if we're assuming that we're going to see O'Sullivan, Herring, Murr, Handys fit, I'm guessing that we'd all agree on a Reedy, Timoney, Murphy back row Cooney at nine obviously we've talked about the 10 if as you guys are thinking it's going to be Madigan at 10 then we see Laurie at fullback Balakun Stockdale Human, McCluskey we'd all be in agreement on that so that leaves the only other I suppose selection up for debate of who partners who partners in Henderson what are we thinking here
0: I'm gonna go Alan O'Connor I think he's he's just so consistent Like every single week, you know you're getting 7 out of 10 out of them, at least. And whenever you hear the coaches talking about how big he is in the engine room for them, you know, he's not making those eye-catching plays. He's not making those massive bursting runs that you're expecting from Treadwell or those big carries that you're expecting from Henderson. But just doing the unseen work of making your tackles, being an effective player at the breakdown, being a good weapon at the line out, I think he's just so solid that you just know what you're going to get from Alan O'Connor. And in a game like this, especially where you need to know that all your guys are going to step up, I think you go with Alan O'Connor.
2: O'Connor is probably your... I've been very impressed with Redwell though, in the last few Mm -hmm. games. I mean, I think he you expect people to put their hands up in, in, in those end-of-season games, which maybe don't matter as much. You look at to see who's committed here to the cause at the very end when it's when it maybe doesn't matter. And maybe will had an eye on the European Challenge Cup games, but I thought he really has put his hand up. And But probably O'Connor's experience probably gives him the age and... and Although I don't know, maybe O'Connor coming off the bench is an impact, might might be better suited at the stoop this weekend.
0: Well, I, I would have thought Treadwell coming off the bench is more of an impact. You know, whenever guys are getting tired, whenever you're looking for a bit of extra emphasis off the bench, a bit of good carrying. I would have thought Treadwell was more suited to that role than O'Connor. Feel free to disagree, but that's that's where I thought he would be sort of better that's suited.
2: No, I was just thinking the way Treadwell had performed in his last couple of items. I thought he was one that was putting his yeah. hand up. And um, It's interesting.
1: That that I think Treadwell was man of the match last time out. And it's been a long time since Ulster have had Henderson available. So you're going back to that October Ospreys game when he got Red Carter at the very end. Like That's the last game Hendy's played for Ulster. Carter has been in and out I actually had a question from Matthew McNabb on Carter and he's he's just still out with those issues related to uh to the concussions so really we're going back to the Toulouse game in um December was really the last time when a choice had to be made between O'Connor and Treadwell the nod went to O'Connor that time as it did in the Pro 14 final and we have seen that Dan McFarnan likes to select him for the big games but you just, I just wonder personally if the pace that this game is going to be played at, and just the athleticism of Treadwell, as well as the form of of whether this is maybe a game for him, but that's going to be interesting to see. I think so. As always in these European fixtures, there's some fascinating head to head battles. If, as we talked about, Harlequins do go full metal jacket for this, Rick, out of all of them, which one of you, which one have you got your eye on? Which you think is going to be the most, uh, the most definitive in the game here?
2: I think your scrum half, Kerr and Cooney, two guys with big points to prove. And this is, I mean, the, it's a European, it's a European weekend. Let's look at the way this is fixtured this weekend. Harlequins and Ulster will bring down the curtain on what will be an absolutely mad weekend of uh, European Cup rugby. If John Cooney is in the right frame of mind, I don't think he's been in the right frame of mind for the past couple of weeks. I don't know whether it's the impact of the Irish selection or whatever, but I think if John Cooney is on the ball. I'm with Madigan outside him. I think that's going to be key. Young Smith, I Mike Smith, my son talks a lot about him. And um, as you say, Johnny, why he's not in the English setup, I'm I'm not really too sure. And I know we're talking about care, but I think Smith feeds off care very, 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 very well. Um the two halfback, the halfback pairings to me are going to be they're the key to this game.
1: Yeah, it was the same for me. Actually, I was just I was thinking about that Care v Cooney matchup if it happens, because you know. It was all the talk over the weekend of Warren Gatland possibly having his eye on Kerr, given the form that he's been in. And if Cooney can go and outperform him, then, you yeah. know, does he get back into that conversation for the Lions? We were having a month or a year ago of him being in the frame for this, you know, and um, even outside the Ireland setup, Gatland's shown his willingness to go outside the national squads before. So I think that's that's going to be really interesting, Adam. Any, any other ones there for you? Anything else?
0: Yeah, you guys stole my key one, so <laughs> I really appreciate that. Um, really like the Battle of the Twelves. Esther Hazen and McCluskey, two very similar players. Esther Hazen's a guy whose game is completely built around par. Um, and McCluskey, while it's his main facet to his game, he, he's sort of added things around that over the past few years. And... Um, I think this is the kind of game where you're going up sort of one on one with a guy who's very similar to you. It's a game where you can really sort of stand out and put your hand up and say, I can do this better than this guy. And Esther Hazen, since he's joined Harlequins, has really proven that he is sort of one of the premier ball carrying centers in the premiership. I'm also really fascinated about the number eight battle. Because we were talking to Nick Timoney yesterday in the press conference and he's a guy I've been really impressed with since sort of the the end of December to now. He's really stepped up and Johnny jumped right in with both feet by asking him, was it because Marcel said he was leaving and he suddenly discovered, oh here, I've got a chance to steal the number eight jersey for next year. He said it was coincidence, but it's a fascinating coincidence because Right now, if you're looking at who would be starting number eight for next season, whenever Kutsi is gone, it would be Timony because he's been playing that well. And this is the first really big game that he's had to play at number eight. This is the first knockout game he's had to play at number eight. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes against a guy like Alex Dombrandt, who for me is another guy who is being very unjustly overlooked for the England setup, who is a really mobile athletic ball carrier i think very much in the mold of tag burn except he focuses more on the ball carrying so just to see how those two go up against each other would be very interesting especially since i think temeni's games gravitated more towards the ball-carrying aspect as opposed to the athletic aspect. I think we've still seen aspects where Timoney has that athletic seven-style play that we that we know he sort of grew up with or he came through the system with, and we saw that was at the Ospreys' game where he got the the intercept and charged halfway up the pitch and then gave it to Cooney for one of his tries. Now that he's sort of bringing that physicality to his game, it'll be interesting to see how he, how he approaches this game Uh, against a guy like Tom
1: Brown, he's proven to be a really interesting interview as well which as we all know is the only thing that I really care about so uh long live Timoney's runner form that's that's what I say just finally to put a bow on the Harlequins discussion guys we haven't done this haven't done this in a while but the game that's in it the week that's in it I'm going to ask you for a prediction do we think that we're going to be sat here next week building up to a quarterfinal
2: Marcel Coutsea being missing for Ulster is, is huge. And I know we talked about this the last time, Adam, when we were on the on the podcast. You know, these are the games that you need Marcel Coutsea playing in just for his ball carrying ability. Now I agree that the, the back row that probably will play will do a will do a good job. I have to fancy a home win for Harlequins here. If if Harlequins go fairly strong, I think they'll they'll age it. I think we'll see a high-scoring game, 32-28, if you want to put put a scoreline on it.
0: See, you know what? I, I agree that Marcel could say it makes your back row better, but I think Ulster's back row has been has been fine in his absence. I think the three that have played over the past few games have really stepped up and done a great job. So I don't have any concerns about the back row. I just worry if you think back to the Gloucester game, how Gloucester really had a field day at the all, and... Harlequins are a team that are really good at at the line out and at the scrum. And I'm just a little bit afraid that something similar is going to happen this time. Adam Jones and Jerry Flannery, the work that they're doing in that pack is fantastic. And since Paul Guster is gone, I think they're they're top or either second in both the line out and the scrum stats in the premiership. So if Ulster struggled against that Gloucester pack at Kings Home, then you would imagine Harlequins are going to look at that as an area that they can probably try and exploit. But I would like to hope that Ulster are going to go on a good Challenge Cup run. And I do think that bringing Henderson back into that team, bringing Herring back in at Hooker, I think they're going to be a different prospect to the last few weeks. So I'm going to say Ulster will squeak it. But I I do think this will be a really good game.
1: It is interesting because that Gloucester game does kind of hang over everything. Um. As it were, it really colours the perception of the season, I think, just in terms of, you know, you can put that in a block of Ulster's last six biggest games, if you like the Pro 14 final, the quarterfinal to Toulouse, the group game with Toulouse, Gloucester, and the two games against Leinster. And five of those you can almost write off in a way, given the opposition, given the strength of the opposition. You would have liked to expect Ulster to have picked up a couple of them, but. In isolation, there's no shame to losing to any of those teams. Whereas if they lose, having lost to Gloucester, if they then go in what could be seen as the seventh biggest game, I suppose, since the Pro 14 semi-final, and to lose that as well would really colour the way that every everybody looks at the season. Despite the um, 14 other wins that they've had in the Pro 14, like I think those 14 wins would become so much less significant than the seven losses that there would have been discounting, I suppose, those uh, those early interpros, but um in those biggest, biggest of games. But we shall leave that for the time being. I'm not gonna do a Gareth and make my own prediction in the host share. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna leave your your two there. So challenge cup was not the only thing on the agenda last week. Since we've last been speaking, we have had belated confirmation not only of the of the Lions tour, but also of the Rainbow Cup. So we've had a few listener questions in on this and just what it means for Ulster. So to start off with, we know that they will be playing three Interpros to begin. There will be no South African trip. They will have one game out of their last projected six will be hosting a South African side. And that it will be a straight 16-team league, as it were, despite the uneven fixture list. And the top two will play off for a piece of silverware. If you are confused, then there is absolutely no shame in that. But putting the format aside, we have three questions from Ian. One, has the release of three games rather than six just been a holding position for the Pro 14, 16, obviously in relation to the travel restrictions that are still in place? Is it realistic to think that this competition will go ahead in its entirety? And three what are the chances of Irish dominance continuing?
2: It's an interesting one, Johnny. I have to say, I was totally underwhelmed when the fixtures for the Rainbow Cup came out. I was on the Premier Sports media call last week in advance of the Pro 14 final, and obviously the Rainbow Cup was was talked about because they were talking about the fixtures coming out. And we've, we've, we've all probably seen, and your listeners will probably have seen, the, the, the promo on Premier Sport the, but the South Africans are coming, you used to rule the world, we're going to take it off you, blah, blah, blah. I suppose, again, it's like... It's like the Challenge, also playing in the Challenge Cup. We're in a different, we're living in a different world at the moment and the travel restrictions are there for, for very good reasons. And I suppose the Rainbow Cup, the way the fixtures have come out, you kind of thought, could they not have extended the Pro 14 season to include two playoffs and a final? Yeah, you know, Especially
1: that, you know, now when you have this down week. So originally, yes. it was, you know, you have now a spare week that yes. surely could have been used for semi-finals. Originally, we were told that there were going to be more games in this Rainbow Cup. But now, as it is, the Pro 14 sides are not going to be playing in the weekend between Europe and yes. the Rainbow Cup starting. Which I'm not saying that this could have affected scheduling either, but if they go out as well, then there's two down weeks. There's two down weeks, yes. There's no guarantee. There's
0: something very like that, McFarland here.
1: Well, there's no guarantee that any of the Irish teams are actually going to get through. Like they've all got tough games.
2: You know, and as as you're right to say, there's a a chance that you're only going to get one of the South Africans in Belfast. Um, I actually did think the way the fixtures, when they did come out, that they were going to announce that the, the Lions tour would actually take place in the UK because the South Africans were all coming over here to play. That didn't transpire. Um, but okay, if you get the Bulls or the Sharks, I suppose it depends who you get as well. In this competition, um, the derbies to start with, well, if Ulster, if, if the four provinces go gung ho, now you expect, you like to think that Ulster, Ulster will be playing in a European Challenge Cup final down the line even with my prediction earlier um, of this weekend's hopes. You'd like to maybe think that Leinster or Munster could also be challenging, even though they've got pretty hard fixtures this weekend. But I posed the question last week about Irish dominance and Stephen Ferris and Quinlan both agreed that, you know, the Pro 14, the top four teams this year were all Irish and the finalists over the years, there's always been at least one Irish province, if not two sometimes. They reckoned that this was going to help the competition. But then I said, are you going to have a competition which is dominated by... Irish provinces and South African clubs. Will the, will the Italians look at, at Italy in the Six Nations? You know, are they? Are we going to have a greater divide? More so, I mean, the Bulls and Sharks are probably the two stronger of the two South African sides, so you expect them to be there. But are we going to end up at the end of this Rainbow Cup with another Leinster against Munster in the final? There is a very strong possibility Leinster against Ulster in the final. It all depends who you get in your fixtures because that's going to have a determine. And by the end of week, by the end of May the sixth. Or, sorry, May the fifteenth. Ulster's chances of getting in the final of the Rainbow Cup could be gone.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned well, like, are we going to see Leinster monster? I mean, Zebra have two games against Treviso here out of their six. <laughs> Treviso have yeah, won all yeah. season, so let's not discount a shock.
2: Yeah, no, that no, no, that's true. And I mean, the Scottish sides are playing the Italian sides as as part of their derby fixtures and and, and the build up to it. So it's going to be, a, I think, it's going to be a skewed competition. And I, but I don't think it should take away what will be with the Pro sixteen down the line. And I think. By that time, travel restrictions and all the rest of it will hopefully have been eased to a degree. And I think we just have to look at this like the Challenge Cup with Ulster as it's in the season where we're currently living in. And I don't think it should be taken as how things are going to be in the future. I mean, I suppose it's like the Kel- I mean the Rainbow Cup's like the Celtic Cup to a degree that mean the time that Ulster won the Celtic Cup. And I think a knockout competition right the way through, if they could have done it some way, a knockout competition would have been better than what they have put on the table
1: travel arrangements being made week to week, I guess uh, that probably wasn't possible, but it's an interesting point because I have no enthusiasm for this rainbow cup whatsoever, (laughs) but I agree with you that that's not a knock on what there will be next season because while I was initially skeptical at the idea that all of a sudden these great rivalries would develop between Irish and South African sides when they're a continent away was going to just immediately fix everything. I think this season, while it has been an outlier, this season, just in terms of the lack of competition in most games, means that something something had to change. And that's what, you know, that's what this is. This is the taking of a chance to improve the quality of the league week to week, especially if, as we're hearing, you know, games aren't going to take place during international windows. There'll be fewer games, which means that hopefully we will see fewer games without the frontline players. You know, you look at I was looking at it yesterday just because he was doing media. Like Rob Herring's played six times for Ulster this year. Um, because of his mm-hmm. Ireland commitments. Um, Ian Henderson even less because of injury and uh, his own Ireland commitments. So, But for now, just to take the Rainbow Cup in its isolation, like Adam, I'm guessing everybody's sort of crossing the fingers that it's going to be the Sharks that are coming here, um, certainly from a media perspective, because you've got a lot of nice, easy... Uh, interview lines and the build-up to that week, given all the former Sharks that Ulster have had, and obviously Sia Khaleesi as well, but we've, we've obviously struck quite a quite a downcast note here on the Rainbow Cup. To bring us back, what are you looking forward to seeing uh, over, not even just the South African involvement, but just over the course of the six games from Ulster?
0: I'm looking forward to seeing young guys get their chance, because... <laughs> I'm going to try and stay as positive about this as possible, but this is a, as we've already said, this is a tournament that's kind of been shoehorned in at the end of the season to get the South Africans some playing time and sort of ease them into the pro 16 for next year. So, you know, is this a tournament because of the imbalanced fixture list and the fact that only the top two teams go to the, go to the set or the final and that's it. Is anybody going to be overly worried about who wins or is anybody going to be, going to be looking back in 10 years and thinking jeepers isn't it great we won the rainbow cup probably not they're all probably looking forward to pro 16 next year and thinking well we'll have a proper fixture list we'll be able to play all of the south african teams and that'll be better if you're looking at what you want to see coming out of the rainbow cup it's probably that you want to see a lot more guys putting their hands up going forward to next season and we've already seen that with ulster but i think you've got six games three of which are inter pros which you know guys will really want to play in and three more games for guys to really say well look i deserve more game time next season if you get to a point where you're looking like you're going to be in the final then absolutely go for it you know i'm, I'm not saying if you're coming into the last game you know a win would uh, get you into the final you go and stick the under teams out uh, at that point you you know We talk about wanting to win the Challenge Cup. Ulster should also want to win the Rainbow Cup if the opportunity presents itself. But at the same time, I don't think the Rainbow Cup is the be-all and end-all of uh, wanting to win. I think Ulster would be better served getting a lot more young players, more game time, more development. You want the likes of Cormac Azuchukwu to start emerging as as an option whenever everybody's available uh, Callum Reid I think a prop Dave McCann obviously in the back row I definitely think there's scope to give Nathan Doak a game somewhere in there even off the bench so look, for, from a playing perspective I, I, yeah I agree I'd really want to see the Sharks at Kingspan I think that would be probably your your big one from the South Africans and then the Bulls would obviously be be number two getting Elton Yanchis at, uh, at Kingspan would be an interesting one especially if they put them up for media beforehand. But look, there they will be some good games. I, th- I think the South Africans are going to come over and they're going to be full strength because all their guys want to be uh, getting ready for the Lions tour. Like all those guys want to be in that Springbok squad. So I don't think you'll see anything less than full strength from them most weeks. It all just depends what the what the current Pro 12 teams want to do. And for me, I think it would be much better for Ulster to be looking towards next season with their selections than the right here and right now.
1: And because that is an important thing, isn't it? Because listener question, just for my namesake, James Bradley talking about, do Ulster have the depth to compete in the Pro Pro 16 and Europe next season? And that's the key, isn't it? Because if you look at the experienced players that are leaving, there's going to be slightly less depth on paper going into next season as an awful lot of teams will given the financial constraints you know, you see guys like JJ Hanrahan and uh, Darren Sweetenham leaving Monster. Um Conant's had a few departures announced going back even uh, even further than that but the key is going to be for me anyway creating that depth through the younger players and academy graduates becoming members of the squad so you're building the squad from the bottom up rather than rather than the top down. And that's something that we've seen more and more of. But Richard, would you go along with that idea that if Ulster are going to have the depth to compete on two fronts this year, or sorry, next year, then it is going to be those guys that Adam's mentioned are going to have to take a step up in terms of even just the amount of minutes that they play and the magnitude of the minutes that they're ready to play.
2: Yeah, I, I do. And I suppose it, it it's interesting for me now, with being away from Northern Ireland and and having a look across and and look, we've all watched an awful lot of rugby. I mean, even the American league has started there and um, I've been watching some of that as well. And the one big positive, and I think I alluded to it in one of the press conferences recently was the number of players that have been used by Ulster this year, um, probably the most players ever, ever used. Um, And I think I used it, with an example that when they played in the European Cup final, you had probably sixteen players that you named on your team sheet, and then threw in whoever was available underneath that. Whereas now you do have a bit more strength and depth, and I think you're right. I did sound a bit negative on the on the on the Rainbow Cup a wee bit there, and yeah, it's underwhelming a wee bit. But I think Adam's quite right. This is the opportunity that you've got to say, look yeah, this is another chance to win silverware. Now, if Ulster are going well in the Challenge Cup front, there's a chance of winning a really significant piece of silverware there. And that maybe is where their focus should be here. And the Rainbow Cup, I think you're right. It's the chance to bring the young guys through. Let's bring Doak and Humphreys through if we need to in, a, in an inter-pro game. Let's see what they're like. And we've seen players, people always are critical of the academy at Ulster saying they're not producing anything. And because we look at, the blueprint that Leinster have, and you you can't make, there's no like with like there, the demographics and everything else that comes into that. Ulster, we are now seeing, and we're only scraping the surface a wee bit, I think, but we're now starting to see players coming through the academy system, and they've had their opportunities this year, and if we're going to be competitive in both the Pro 16 and Europe next year, Jonathan, you're 100% right, we need to get these young guys into these big games now, and you know what? What bigger opportunity than maybe playing the Sharks or Bulls in Belfast to throw in? Like you know, you know what? Let's not put our what would be our what would seem to be our first team. Out. Let's give these guys a chance against some of these World Cup winners, and that would really, I think, that sort of experience will hold better for the young guys going forwards than maybe playing connaught in an interpro game.
1: Yeah, because I mean, I think one of you made the point there that just, just the way the fixtures are, not uh, being disparaging to Ulster's squad at the minute but like they haven't won in either Thoman Park or Dublin since 2014 so for them to be in with a chance to even make make the final before these South African teams arrive into Europe for this competition they're gonna have to do something that they haven't done in a long time and if they don't then you've got three games so you can theoretically mix and match you know you're not putting out a full A side and saying right away he's go and you know a full-strength Bulls team could put 60 on you. And then, you know, what are you really learning from that? But if you have three games, then you can say, right, five years are playing this week, five years are playing the next week, five years are playing the week after that. And then it gets everybody that sort of taster, I suppose. And a launching pad into, um, into next season, because there's no A to B route in player development. Like, you know, you look at somebody like, for instance, compare just two guys that have had a big impact with Ulster, James Hume and Robert Balikin. Like, They couldn't have more differing routes to where they are now, but they've both become big contributors. So it's giving guys those opportunities to emulate those guys. Because, you know, Ricky said there about the academy getting a lot of stick, and it has, but really over the last three years, there's been a fairly steady stream of guys becoming, I suppose, senior players. And you look at the likes of Balakun, Laurie Hume, Stuart Moore being regular contributors as well so it is going to be important that we see a lot of those uh, a lot of those young guys I think that's something that we can all sort of look to in this competition rather than given its format wins and losses and you know the Celtic Cup example is a great one because like apart from who ever wins this competition is anybody going to remember it in what was that 19 years 19 years time uh, yeah. the answer is probably not no but
2: and it's remembered more for an extra time win over Leinster in the semi final and playing in the snow in Edinburgh in the <laughs> final.
1: I, whenever they didn't think they could even get to the get to the yes, game.
2: Exactly. Uh, yes. John flag. Dixon will tell you a good story about driving back from that one to get the boat.
1: <laughs> yeah, the the famous win over Leinster that wasn't even really a win, One on try. <laughs>
2: exactly. Yeah
1: you bring I that? I'm gonna pretend I know what you guys are talking
2: about.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say we're talking 2004, but we're actually now it's 2003 because the 2004 Celtic Cup was played entirely in 2003, which makes no sense. But there you are. That was <laughs> the Celtic Cup that was. Just making sure we've got all our listener questions taken care of. Oh, we have one more, just from Ron Bell on uh, Louis Liddick, guys. What do we know about Louis Liddick? We've not seen him in quite some time.
2: I've heard on the grapevine that perhaps. The boots are being hung up at the end of the season. Um, I'm not sure how true that might be or not. I'm not close enough to the grapevine as you are, guys, but that's that's the rumblings I have heard. Um, I'm taking it that he's injured at the moment. Nobody's revealing anything under data protection.
1: He's actually come off the injury report and... um... The last... so so have a lot of people, but they're still injured. (laughs) The the injury reports are getting less and less definitive as we go. (laughs) Marcel was injured for about three weeks before they confirmed he was injured yesterday. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like the thing with the thing with Louis is
0: he's been injured at a time when you've got Larry pushing through at fullback, well, Larry's been sort of in, in that fullback jersey for a while, but you've also got Ethan McElroy coming through and doing well. Balakun's come back from injury. Where where do you fit him back in? He's still he's still a good performer for Ulster, but the thing is, it, Ulster are very much looking forward to the future now. And where do you fit Ludic back into that mix to give him game time at the expense of someone else that you want to give game time. It's, it's tough to talk about because he has been such a great servant to Ulster for so many years. And I think whenever Ulster signed him, I don't think anybody expected him to stick around this long. And yet he's become probably a, a favorite player of many people, myself included. And he, he's now got a great business going on in the background with Hellbent. And, if he was able, or if he walked away at the end of the season, then he'd be able to go straight into that and devote his time fully to that, which I'm I'm sure he would be very happy to do so. But you maybe hope he would get one more game before the end of the season, but leave that in the hands of the coaches.
1: Yeah, it's a shame, obviously, just without there being fans there. Um, if he does get the farewell, but you still love to see him get get another game obviously i think we're having these same conversations this time this time last year you know when he was looking a looking a deal and i think he maybe was looking a two-year deal and there was a one-year deal on the table they went for the one-year deal and he's just not really got got a chance he had that long spell out with injury but yeah well like we'll talk about him more in in future podcasts i'm sure but um like i put him right up there as one of ulster's best foreign signings because he's been so so reliable like he doesn't get the headlines Mm -hmm. but he's um he's he whenever he was playing regularly for us, so you always knew what you were what you were going to get from him. He was the kind of guy that would never let you down. And he was also the kind of guy that even after he shipped like whatever it was, 45, 50 points in a semi in Glasgow, he was the guy that you could send up to the media because he would never say no. So uh, That's right. I
2: remember it well, Johnny. I remember that one well. And I think it's, it's one of the things that you were saying too about the, the strength and depth within the squad. And again, I hate going back to Leinster, but if you look at... The Leinster squad, they have young guys coming through and they have those experienced hands there as well. And that's why they're able to mix and match so well week in, week out, from competition to competition seamlessly because they do have that strength and depth. And, you know, Lewis is the kind of, Louis, Louis is the kind of guy you would like to see staying for another season. So the likes of, as Adam mentioned there, Ethan McElroy, he's able to develop, but maybe when it comes to a big crunch game, you, you can pull Louis Ludic in. You know, I think the other big thing yesterday out of the press conference was the news about Will Addison um, mm-hmm. that he's possibly we, we might see him before the end of the season because there's a guy that uh, so much promise and, and he's just been so unlucky with the injury toll. so it'll be really good to see him as well and you know I hope Marcel does get a run out with Ulster before the end of the season Before maybe they'll end up playing the Bulls in and uh, uh, Spad it'll <laughs> be his last run out mm-hmm.
1: We shall leave it there. Obviously, next week we will be back, regardless of the result. Hopefully, Gareth Hanna will be back from his, um, his international football exile that he that he's in. Um, John Cameron was worried <laughs> that he's been poached by another uh, another rival provincial podcast. But no, we are expecting him back next week once Northern Ireland football is over. And whether we are building up to final in the Challenge Cup or whether we are essentially having our season review no more disrespect to the Rainbow Cup remains to be seen but in the meantime Richard Mulligan thank you very much for joining me.
2: An absolute pleasure I'm sorry that we'll not be doing our little walk around Twickenham trying to find the stoop as we did the last time uh, but uh, I look forward to, to actually getting to a game of rugby for a change and uh, thank you very much both you and Adam for the time today. Yep,
1: Adam again
2: thanks for joining us as well.
0: My pleasure. I'm very jealous of you, Richard, actually getting to go to an away game, but hopefully soon.
2: (laughs) We'll get together again soon.
1: Mm. And hopefully all of you out there too will get to a game soon. We shall hopefully see you next week. Thanks for listening.